This podcast may contain disturbing content for some listeners. It's intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. of have two fugitives for this week i don't know if you noticed what i was saying there i wanted to start with this is like one of the weirdest things i've ever seen it happened back in june of 2022 and like you sort of look at this and and like i, I think there's an assumption to be made here but it came to me in the form of like an nbc news article and it simply is uh, marked up Carolina Beach, North Carolina. And it says, the boat of a North Carolina man missing for seven months has washed ashore uh, off the coast of Portugal, thousands of miles from the marina where it was last seen. Joseph Matthew Johnson has not been found. The Carolina Beach police said that authorities in the Azores said a boat registered to his name washed up last week on the small island of Sao Jorge, some 2,700 miles across the ocean. Johnson was last seen leaving the Federal Point Yacht Club Marina on November 22nd on his boat, police said. The 44-year-old Carolina Beach resident was reported missing five days later by a friend who arrived in town for a previously arranged fishing trip. Video surveillance from November 22nd shows the boat leaving the marina where he lived, and the last ping from Johnson's cell phone was from off the coast of Baldhead Island at 5.17 p.m. the same day. Uh, this is according to Sergeant Colby Edens at Carolina Beach. Uh, the U.S. Coast Guard search for Johnson in November covered nearly 7,500 square miles, but it was suspended when no new information was found. When the boat was found on June 21st, it had a heavy buildup of barnacles and algae, indicating that it had been capsized at sea for quite some time. Portuguese authorities are helping the Carolina Beach Police Department as they gather evidence and continue their search for Johnson. Johnson's mother, Mary Kay Anderson, said his family is confident he'll be found alive. Um, That's something that was reported by the Star News down in Wilmington, North Carolina. The retired U.S. Army Special Forces soldier served for 24 years with tours in Afghanistan and South America, so Anderson believes he has the skills to survive in dangerous conditions and elements. It's not just hope, Anderson said. We know he's alive and are praying for his miraculous rescue. You know, I see cases like this sometimes, and I, you know, I just see, like, all that is is a boat right there, right? That's all I'm talking about. First of all, did we talked about this briefly when that happened back in June, right? You and I personally, not on the show. Yeah, we talked about it. I don't know if it's been on the show or not. I can't remember. I don't think it has. So I went, you know, when I see something like this, that's sort of an interesting story. First of all, that's a hell of a long journey to go 3,000 miles, basically. So I went on and I was shocked to find that this case had an Interpol case number. It's in NamUs. The guy has a star compass tattooed on his hand. So boats are not new to him. And 
Namus went so far to let us know that there's a handgun on board this boat. I thought that was interesting. So Isn't I, there, does he have a warrant? So it's way more interesting than that. He is okay. So he has a bunch of stuff going on. Now keep in mind that this happened in he goes missing essentially in 2021, okay? He ends up in a, a really, really strange position where I can't tell. I, I believe he was about to be sentenced. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what's in this guy's criminal record because that's the next place I went to look. His criminal record is down in Hope County, North Carolina. He has an incident on March 21st of 2020. It results in him being charged with a hit and run and a failure to report an accident. He's sentenced to basically community probation. The problem is, right after this happened, on April 1st, 2020, he was charged with a DWI. And he's charged with a level 2 DWI, which means that he was found, even though it ends up being a hit and run and a failure to report an accident, he was found to have had a previous instance of driving while intoxicated. So he's convicted of the first two offenses on June 10th of 2021. And then on the DUI offense, DWI offense on uh, August 31st, 2021. So all of that happens and then he disappears in November of 2021. But, you know, it's not just a warrant. He's considered a fugitive from justice. He's literally considered as an absconder. That's what you might remember me pointing out to you is that he had an absconder flyer. And so you have nothing that you- has happened is very serious though, right? I mean I mean it was serious that he had a um a DWI, a, a class two DWI, but he was going to be doing community service and probably lose his license, right? Yeah, he was so this guy was gonna lose his license for a certain amount of time and uh, he, he was going to have to do some, he was going to have to do, I guess what I would consider to be like probation and community service and pay some fines. Like that's what it looks like to me. But. So it wasn't anything worth absconding over, even though, I mean, that is. I don't did. think so. Okay. I think that what has really thrown this story off is uh, like the parents' comments. <laughs> uh, oh, you mean the Andersons' comments? Isn't that his parents? Yeah. Right, yeah. and so like they're like, "Oh, we know he's alive," right? Right. Um, and then they, you know, you cited. I don't know if somebody said it or what, but they cited his skills, right? His survival skill set. And it seems to me that there is a gigantic leap that is happening there when you compare somebody's survival skill experience and training to someone who went off into the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. So because there's no amount of survival skills that's going to help. Um, if you if you are on a boat, and then you are no longer on a boat and you've gone far enough out, like there's no way to survive it unless you get picked up, right? Um, yeah, I mean, there there's a chance you could get picked up, but it's probably going to be pretty slim. I well, don't plus, see, and this is not a big boat. No, it's not a big boat. And it, so what do you think he had the gun for? Well, I mean, if, if I just look at it, my common sense says that this guy was going out on the ocean to kill himself. Right. And so he had gotten his uh, DWI situation, which, you know, we talked about how being sentenced uh, wasn't so much that he, he would be considered someone to have absconded, even though that is what happened. But uh, so he was drinking heavily to the point where he was driving drunk, right? Yes. Okay, and so that gives you an idea about, like, his mindset yep. a little bit at least. Yep. And so it seems like he more than likely took the gun with him because he was going to commit suicide. 
I mean, that's that's sort of how I feel about it. I don't, you know, I look at this, I can't find like a really good explanation for what's happening here. He just sort of comes up because it's not every day you hear of a boat like leaving basically the U.S. coastline at North Carolina and showing up somewhere overseas. And then as you dig into it, it's like an actually sort of a fugitive situation, don't you think? Not really, but yeah, I guess. I mean, if we're going to go strictly by the book here, I mean, in <laughs> order for me to think that somebody is a fugitive, like they need to be like a, a, a possible danger to like society. And uh, I don't think like, he's a danger to society at all. Well, then he, to me, he's not really a fugitive, but like, let's just run with that for a second. Cause clearly his parents have reported him missing. It's not just law enforcement looking for him. Right. Right. His parents, I feel like maybe they have just like a false sense of hope. Maybe they're just in denial. What he was facing wasn't enough to give up his identity. I don't think so. Okay. I, I think it's going to be some kind of PTSD situation where he – something about this guy, he – you know, he feeded 24 years in special forces. There's a chance he's seen some stuff that a lot of people couldn't handle. Well, or he could have just like – I mean, the chemicals in his brain could have shifted and he just decided he didn't want to live anymore and he wanted to see how close he could get to Europe before he shot himself. I mean, I don't know, but it, to me, it just seems so unlikely that for one thing, he had to have gotten to a certain point for his boat to have continued on, right? It's not like you could just set your boat like right off the coast of uh, the Eastern coast of the United States and just like, let it go. And it's going to end up in Portugal, right? I mean, right. that's not going to happen. So he had to have navigated it to a certain point, in my opinion. Okay. I, yeah. I, I, could, I guess I could be wrong. And I'm sure that there's somebody that could look at like the um, current paths and stuff like that and make some determinations there. But you said it was about seven months between the time like he was last seen in his boat and then when it washed ashore, right? Yeah. Okay. And so in during that time, it it had to have at least been on, you know, a course. Um, so what I'm saying is he didn't ditch the boat and take off running on land and leave it to go, right? Right. Okay. That's kind of where I'm trying to get with that. But, uh, you know, could he have had somebody that, you know... Uh, what is it? Like tag team Tim? Like Yeah, yeah. He could have had another boat picked him up. He could have had like some kind of rendezvous going on. This was the way that he decided he wanted people to Ex remember him. Except like, well, I mean, maybe, but except like there's not really a reason why like he would be doing something like that. No, right? there's not. There's no good reason why he would be doing that. No. Um, And so I've had a lot of sympathy for his parents, but like, it doesn't matter what your survival skills are. Like, you can't survive in the ocean. That's well, not a matter of survival skills. Yeah, so he's basically he's basically in the ocean in a rowboat. This is a 19-foot little, you know, outboard engine boat. It, this is a rowboat. Like, it, it's not going to survive. So he didn't even have, like, a sleeping compartment or anything? No, no, no. It's not that kind of boat. This is a fishing boat. It's only 19 feet long. It's I feel very like small. it's misleading because the pictures that are provided um, in some of the media, it gives it. I think it shows him in a very a more substantial boat <laughs> than yes. I guess what we're talking about here. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, with that, like, it doesn't even make sense that he was going to do that. Now, I would suggest somebody, um, you know, make sure. Uh, review like you know the Coast Guard or whatever um, and see if anybody had been reported to have been picked up right I'm sure they've done that uh, because essentially if they really want him to have survived uh, that's what's going to have had to have happened but why did he end up off the boat to begin with that's that's an excellent question and I don't know the answer to it I mean ultimately if his boat 
ended up somewhere else, I doubt. Well, so it didn't sink, right? I mean, that's really the only reason why. Okay, so like you have a boat problem, right? Uh, even if it's just a glorified rowboat or whatever. Right. So you have a boat problem. The only reason you get off the boat is because it sank, right? I mean, Correct. that's okay. So he, if, um, you know, if that's not the case, you stay with the boat, even if it's upside down with, you know, algae growing on it, you sit on it or whatever, right? Right. It is, you have to start wondering, well, like he could have been picked up, but like, would they have just left his boat there? I, uh, I, I doubt it. Right. And so anything that would have caused him to have to be off of the boat for some reason um it should have resulted in the boat sinking right because that's the only time you're really going to in fact you don't even get off the boat as it goes down you don't go down with it right (laughs) that's basically what happens there and so it makes uh more sense that he stood on the edge and shot himself and then the 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 boat just moved on. down the road, yeah. Which, you know, if he is alive, I would be like, I'm really, and I'd be really interested to know his story. This is one of the worst things you can do to parents, though. I mean, because his parents have repeatedly told... Um, the news. The news, or they're just using the same quote over and over again. How old is this guy? He's um, he'd be forty five now. He's forty four when he went missing. Um, and, and just in case anybody's seen him, he's you know a six foot two, two hundred and twenty pound uh, uh, Caucasian male with sort of brownish blonde hair, and uh, I don't see an eye color listed in here. But I mean, I will say that if he isn't dead, and this is some sort of orchestrated um, walking away from his life, what a dickhead. He is, he is, like, it was really mean to do that to his parents, but I also don't think he's ever going to be found. <laughs> That's the other thing, like, because this was very efficient. If, um, I, I, but I, like I said, I don't think that that's the case unfortunately i think he was struggling for whatever reason just based on all the circumstances and i feel like um you know his poor parents are going to have to come to terms with that eventually yeah i like to think that people who uh like if he did in fact you know go out onto the sea to die basically i like to think that it just never occurs to them that uh they're going to be putting their loved ones through like so much heartache and you know it would make sense that somebody that was at that point in their life they wouldn't be thinking of what others would think and because if he told them they'd want to stop him right yeah and so I I just I it always bothers me I feel like (laughs) how different my life would be if some of the people who were just walking away from their lives to end it would just tell somebody. <laughs> just drop a little note somewhere. Because then I wouldn't be wasting so much time trying to find them. <laughs> well, in this case, yeah, this guy had three brothers and then he had a bunch of soldiers who organized different um, search and rescues for him over a long period of time. They've, because uh, we're coming up on a year, I think. Uh, yeah, it'll be a, it, um, it just passed a year. So this guy's been missing for a year and people are looking for him. You're right. Like if he would have just let anybody know, send a note, you know, drop the letter, whatever. Um, I do. I do understand though, that if you're at the point where you're going to walk away from your life to die, whether it's in the ocean or in the forest or whatever, a lot of times you're not in the headspace to drop a line to someone, right? Yeah. Um, I just, I feel like it would, um, I've gotten really good at picking out those types of cases. Uh, and usually they're signs, right? Yeah. And so I try not to be like definitive about it, but I, you know, I can weigh it out pretty well that it was more than likely, you know, suicide and it's very sad. Yeah, so you know his his mom finds out from basically his ex wife texting her on Thanksgiving that the police are at her house looking for him, and you know the the reason that the police are looking is because he's been reported missing. His ex wife is curious where he's at because they have a fifteen year old together. Um, you know, this kid, there's a lot there's a lot happening here that is very very sad, and I just I thought it was an interesting 
quasi fugitive case because I thought you would have the same opinion I did, which is this is not really an absconding person or a, a fugitive, so to speak. Um, but we do have an interesting fugitive to follow this up. And I don't know why, but something about this case that we just talked about, it came up in my uh, head again while I was researching this other case. Um, this other case is kind of a weird one. And I don't, uh, I don't know how else to say it other than it's kind of a weird one. But had you ever heard of the other guy at all? No. Okay, so this is the case of, a, this is an Oregon case. It's out of Lincoln City, Oregon. He disappeared January 23rd, 2011, but technically he disappeared from Waldport, Oregon. So Waldport is in Lincoln County next to Lincoln City. At approximately 10.58 p.m. on January 23rd, 2011, Lincoln City police officer Stephen Dodds pulled over pulled over a 1984 Dodge pickup truck for a routine traffic violation in Lincoln City, Oregon. During during this interaction, the driver told Stephen Dodds that he was driving to a military base in California. But then at some point during the traffic stop, the driver shot Stephen Dodds, Stephen Dodds multiple times in the chest. And critically injured him. And then he fled in his vehicle heading south on Highway 101. So Highway 101 is a, you know, it's a a U.S. highway, Route 101, Highway 101. It runs from Washington State all the way down to California. So it runs along the West Coast. Uh, Responding police officers spotted this vehicle in Newport, Oregon. They disabled the vehicle with a spike strip near Waldport, which is just north of the Alcia Bay Bridge. And unable to drive the vehicle any further, the, the driver fled on foot into the woods on the west side of the highway. His dog was with him. The driver's dog was with him. It went to the east side of the highway. Now, shortly after all of this happened, a crab fisherman who was working by spotlight that evening in Alcia Bay, reported gunshots um, that were coming from this area known as the Sand Spit. He did say he could not see the, the gunman in the darkness. Now, three days after the driver disappeared, on January 26th, his dog was found wandering in Waldport. So the fact that an officer, a police officer, had been shot set off a pretty extensive search. So for days following the disappearance of the driver, local, state, and federal enforcement officers uh, using HRT and SWAT teams did a house-by-house search across Waldport and Bayshore, which is the community immediately north of Alcia Bay. Despite this extensive search, they never locate the driver. And there have been no verified sightings of him since the evening of January 23rd, 2011. They do let us know the driver's identity as their search continues. And the driver is David Anthony Durham of Salvi Island, which is uh, in over by Portland, Oregon. Uh, used to be known as Wapato Island. Initially, law enforcement theorized that David Durham may have been hiding in an abandoned house in the woods or at one of the area's numerous vacant vacation homes. Another possibility raised by law enforcement was that Durham had attempted to swim across Alcia Bay and he had drowned. A friend of Durham said that in the months prior to his disappearance, he had begun acting erratically and displaying signs of paranoia. He was going through something. We just didn't know how serious it was. She also added that she believed Durham was probably dead. Uh, Durham's brother, Michael Durham, told the Oregonian that Durham had sustained a shoulder shoulder injury in the months prior to his disappearance, and he had been prescribed pain medications that altered his mental state. He also stated that he believed Durham may have been hiding in a house in Manzanita, which is in Tillamook County, Oregon, on the beach, uh, which is owned by his employer. Prior to his disappearance... Durham had begun to tell his family and friends that he was planning on relocating to the Caribbean. 
His employer at Willamette Print and Blueprints Company in Portland notified police that he had failed to show up for work on Friday, January 21st, and he had not been seen or heard from since. So had you ever heard of this guy? No. I hadn't either. Like, like he completely escaped uh, anything that uh, I, I found a reference to an old America's Most Wanted shortly after his, his disappearance. Like, they did a profile at the end. Right. But I had never heard of him. I, um, I, I pulled up a bunch of different articles. So this guy was, he's actually kind of a big dude. Uh, and one of his pictures, he reminds me of Israel Keys. by the way. I don't know what it is about him, but there's, it's on the uh, FBI website. Uh, so the FBI has him on this website. He's six foot three, 160 to 180 pounds. Uh, he's a Caucasian male with blue eyes and blondish brown hair. They don't know what he was doing at the time of his disappearance, but they state that in the remarks on like the FBI.gov's page, they state that he's known to possess survival skills. He was wearing full green camouflage at the time of his disappearance, as well as tan or dark colored boots and a dark colored beret. He is believed to have traveled to California, the Caribbean and Thailand. He like in these pictures, like there's surveillance pictures of him from the day that this happened. Uh, there's a driver's license photo. Um, and then there's a photo of him with either shorter hair or his hair is pulled back, kind of standing and all camouflage. This was a high priority case. It does not make the most wanted. Um, but here's why it's a high priority case. And it's a lot. The FBI started to prioritize, I think it was May 2019, what they call police week, which is where they intensified efforts to identify and arrest fugitives believed to be in the assault or murder of law enforcement officers. David Anthony Durham is charged with attempted aggravated murder, four counts, uh, unlawful flight to avoid prosecution, attempted murder, 10 counts, assault in the first degree, assaulting a public safety officer, unlawful use of a weapon, 12 total counts, Recklessly endangering another, 10 counts. Menacing, 10 counts. Attempted assault in the first degree, 9 counts. Assault in the second degree, 3 counts. Attempted assault on a public safety officer, 3 counts. Fleeing or attempting to elude a law enforcement officer, 3 counts. Reckless driving and assault in the third degree. And does that all stem from that one incident? That's what it's saying. It stems from what I described here. And so, do we know why he shot the cop to begin with? No, we don't. Like, So, all the articles I read, I can't tell. Like, it, like it looks like they're just stopping him with, like, a, a routine something's wrong with his car. I don't know if it was speeding or what. Um, it's just described as being stopped for a routine uh, traffic call. Then, so he was it, just out of his mind. I think he was just out of his mind, maybe. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I feel like under all the circumstances, I don't know what was wrong with him, but um, it's interesting. Uh, but I think that uh, the theory that he maybe drowned or possibly where the crab uh, fisher was talking about, the crab fisherman was talking about possibly hearing gunshots. Yeah. He killed himself that way. But um, I think because even like the worst of, you know, criminals, they have to be sort of off to shoot somebody that has just pulled him over. Because like he wasn't taking him into custody or anything. Right. I mean, he he just shot him. Correct. I don't know what happened in that interaction. We don't actually hear much about Stephen Dodds and what happened there. Um, Which could be relevant, right? But just because there isn't any information, it makes me think the guy was a little bit off, right? I I definitely get the impression that he's seriously off. I I wonder if whatever chemical thing was going on with him caused him to be off, or if maybe he was already suffering from something. Now, I will say this. When I go looking for information about uh, Stephen Dodds or Durham, 
I don't get a lot of information. I pulled up an article from the Oregonian that is related to sort of the aftermath. And it's from January 23rd, 2012 by a local woman named Lori Tobias. Now, here's what she says. In the dark early hours of January 24th, 2011, Newport police officer Craig Mitchell stood in the middle of the Alsea Bay Bridge, poised to stop cars from crossing. Then suddenly, the quiet of the night was shattered by a barrage of gunshots. Mitchell couldn't see anything, but he could imagine plenty. I thought he might be doing a home invasion, killing a family. At that point, I know this guy is crazy. Friends had noticed in recent weeks that something wasn't quite right about David Durham, a former volunteer with the Salvi Island Fire Department, an avid camper and hiker. Durham, 43, was on medication for a shoulder ailment, and some believe the drugs were messing with his mind. His demeanor, attitude, and sense of reality was that had changed, said Brother Michael. He clearly thought that the military and the police were out to get him. What became of David Durham? We kick that question around every week, said Lincoln City Police Lieutenant Jerry Palmer. There is the possibility he is deceased, but you can't rule out the possibility that he slipped out. There's no evidence either way. No one with the amount of scrutiny that had been put on him could stay out of sight. But until we know one way or another, we are going to keep looking. It was about 11.30 p.m. when Dodd stopped the 1984 Dodge SUV on the edge of Lincoln City. Clark Crow was on the porch of his home smoking a cigarette. He saw flashing lights in front of the house, glanced toward the highway, and saw the patrol car and the SUV. I stepped back on my porch with my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, and I heard three gunshots. Then we ran to the corner of the garage and out to the fence, and the guy was speeding away, and the cop was down. I ran out to the cop, and I yelled for my wife to call 911. Volunteer fireman Bob Doobie was home in bed about four blocks from the shooting when his pager went off. It said, officer down, shots fired in front of ProBuild, Doobie recalled. It woke me up immediately, and my heart just sank. Doobie grabbed his first responder kit and raced to the scene, parking at his business, the streetcar village across the street. A neighbor saw him. He yelled, three shots to the abdomen. Doobie raced to Dodd's side, where several others were already attempting to help save the officer, gravely wounded with two bullets in his stomach. About 20 miles away in Newport, Craig Mitchell heard the call that Durham was heading that way. He and a second officer, Keith Garrett, each in his own patrol car, drove to the edge of Newport and they waited. Ten minutes later, the SUV blew by. Mitchell and Garrett fell in behind him, and soon a third officer named Tony Garbarino joined the pursuit. In South Beach, just across the Yaquina Bay Bridge, Durham began shooting. At first, it was like, I can't believe he's shooting at us, Mitchell said. We've been in a ton of pursuits, and eventually they crash, they pull over, or they give up. Eventually, they crash and give up, or they pull over and give up. No one's ever turned around with a rifle while they're driving and started shooting at us. One bullet hit the front of his squad car. Another ricocheted off the window. By now, Garbarino had called Lincoln County to see if there was a deputy in the south part of the county. There was, and she had only minutes to do her job. Wearing sweats, tennis shoes, and a bulletproof vest, Abigail Dorsey slipped out of her house and rushed to US-101. As the gunshots and roaring engines grew closer, She hurried out into the road. She put a spike strip in place and then raced back to take cover between her car and the brush, hoping that Durham wouldn't spot her. The SUV approached. Dorsey jerked the spike strip into place and heard the SUV hit it twice. Moments later, the Newport officer saw the SUV slowing. We honestly thought he was going to get out and just open fire on the patrol cars. We couldn't let him run into a neighborhood with a bunch of guns. If he's shooting at three patrol cars, he obviously has no remorse. When we came up on him, I was coming up to the left of Sergeant Gabarino's rig. Durham jumped out of the rig with a rifle and then went right straight around the front of his rig and bailed over a guardrail. That was the last time I ever saw him. Not long after came gunshots, which police would later learn were fired at two fishermen who were crabbing in the Alcea Bay. 
and then nothing. Police set up roadblocks, searched cars, and over the next days, SWAT teams went through more than 100 houses. For weeks, they searched with dogs on horseback and by boat. They scoured beaches, dunes, and forests, and followed up on more than 100 tips. But not one clue to Durham's whereabouts was ever found. Like a puff of smoke, he was gone. Today, after months in the hospital and rehabilitation, Steve Dodds is back on patrol and doing his best to avoid the spotlight and get on with his life. He was awarded the Purple Heart from the Oregon Peace Officer Association and honored by the maker of the bulletproof vest that stopped one bullet. I was a victim for 30 seconds, and I've been a survivor ever since, he said in a press release issued by the Lincoln City Police Department. And that leaves just one loose end. Where is the man that Michael Durham describes as a social guy who liked to be around everyone, and everyone liked to be around? A man who liked antique guns, target shooting, and motorcycles. What became of David Durham? Craig Mitchell believes that Durham probably tried to make it to the other side of Alsea Bay. The tide was coming in, set to crest at about 9.3 at shortly after 3 a.m. I think he tried to swim across the bay and just didn't make it. I talked to a bunch of people who dive in the bay, and they say that the current is so strong, he could have been washed up the river and just got stuck under a tree. Other theories have Durham making it around the spit and up into the woods or north on the beach. But like Mitchell, Lincoln County Search and Rescue Coordinator Bruce McGuire believes that Durham met death by drowning. 50% of people who drown, you see again which means that 50% of people who drown, you don't, said McGuire. The ocean is a very unforgiving place. Sometimes it gives back and sometimes it doesn't. We'd like, to give, we'd like it if it gave back so we'd have some closure. For me personally, I have a hard time believing he made it outside of our perimeter. But people could make it. You could miss someone by 10 seconds. You may never see them. But I like to think we did the best we could. So that's it. That's all we got for David Durham. There's articles like this that pop up every few years. But for all intents and purposes, he just went poof. Well, and I think that he, he wasn't really of the mindset of somebody that was like going to go on the run and survive. I don't think. I, I don't know why he's wearing all camouflage in this surveillance video. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I like he's one of those. Okay. So I always have like these really weird questions that I ask you. One of them is like, are fugitives considered missing people? In this instance, David Durham was put into NamUs in July of 2012. And he is described as wearing military boots and North Vietnamese tiger camo. And they put pictures of him in there wearing his tiger camo. So I think they really did that just from the perspective of kind of keeping track of him. I I will say that like some of the pictures of him, he's like wearing like a karate headband, if that makes sense. Like Rambo? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like, and he has really long hair, like tied back in a ponytail. So, you know, he's one of those that I look at it and I go, hmm. This guy, so this guy is 45 years old when all this happens. He's born in 1967. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not 20, right? Correct. As far as like trying to get away and uh, because an officer had been shot, you knew the, um, because an officer had been uh, injured like he had been, like they were on it really fast, right? Yeah. And so it seems like he would have been found if it were possible. I don't know that I'm, I don't know that it really is 50% of people who uh, drown in the ocean are found. I think the I I think the guy meant to say more like it's a fifty fifty chance. I think that's what he was doing. Like if somebody goes into if somebody drowns, it's a fifty fifty chance you find them. 
that's all he was really – he was not trying to be super technical with, with that, I don't think. I see. But, well, and so for the most part, I do think bodies show back up. Um, I, I also think that, you know, if he had shot himself or whatever – it could go a different way or, I mean, I don't think everybody that drowns is recovered for sure. But, and every, every time I hear, I always think it's a possibility, right? That, yeah. that um, it is possible they're hung somewhere or like they just got into a current that just took them way out. And then the ocean did its thing and they just never returned. Right. Yeah. Well, I had one. So I went look, you know, I always have to go be, Nosy, nameless. I did find, so in Walport, Oregon, a human tibia washed up on the beach at Walport, but they estimated that they didn't believe he was, that that tibia was over six foot and they couldn't identify the race or the uh, gender. But they did find a jawbone on November 23rd, 2016, very close to where all this happened. Um, and I couldn't see if it had been, I'm locked out of NamUs currently while we're doing these episodes. So I could not see if he had been ruled out or not for that. I but, can look and see. What, what day was it found? Uh, November 23rd, 2016 in Lincoln City, Oregon. Oh, it's one unidentified person, 16254. It's been... Uh, uh, James Shook and Kelly Smith have been excluded as being this person. But not David Durham? Those are the only two listed. Um, let me look at his real quick. Yeah, so he's been excluded as um, four different um, things. Can you read off the numbers? Yeah, 96051. Um, okay, so he's been... Uh, so David Durham has been excluded as being UP16853. Not on my list. Okay. UP14360. That was on my list. UP12854. Not on my list. UP10908. Not on my list. Okay. okay. So tell, you want to tell me what the other ones and I can look at them or no? Oh, um... I just have the one that I just gave you, which was 16254, and then I have 96051. Those are the only ones I have left. Okay, that uh, the 96051 does not have any exclusions. What about uh, 10470? 10470? Yep. Um, that has excluded... Um, MP5777, uh, Walter Ackerson. Okay. That's the only exclusion. Yeah. So I have a feeling, um, well, at least we know they have some way to exclude there. I think. Well, I was going to say like, it's weird. Um, when you come to exclusions like that, um, and the timing would also be relevant, I guess, because so you know that um, what you're looking at has exclusions, and then we know that David Durham has exclusions. So that, in theory, means that the the material, the profiles are in the system, right? Right. Okay. Except, like, we don't see that it's excluded from everybody, right? So it's not an automatic process here. Right? Correct. There's, somebody's having to tell it to, you know, to compare, right? And, but it seems like the ability would be there. Now, I wonder a lot of times when there's no comparisons, uh, no exclusion comparisons, that, like, that makes me think maybe it's not in the system. And one of the ones that you just read off didn't have any comparisons, so maybe it's just not available. Yeah, that's... Either not available um, or they don't. Do you have don't. any idea how many people are have gone missing around there? Um, I did some. I, I did some brief numbers. If you mean, okay, so this is how into it the ocean. <laughs> well, that's even harder because I mean we ran into this when we were um, looking well, because at the thought. The thought is that um, it washed up, right? Yeah, the the idea is that they would have washed up. So. As far as reported missing, the whole state of Oregon only has 494 missing persons. 
unfortunately, 26 of them are in Lincoln County. There's quite a few here that I have sort of dug through. They don't have like a lot of modern missing persons, but to give you an idea of this area, like this is where Cami Vollendroff and Eugene Hyatt went missing. Right. The couple that was in one of these little sand pits. And uh, do you know what these sand spits are like? Have you ever seen them? Yeah, I don't think so. It's super easy to sort of fall into a hole here. What I did discover is there's a, a lot of like really odd cases in this County. And I wondered like, okay, I'll give you one example of one. And I, I'm not going to go like all the way down this rabbit hole. I'm just sort of, cause it's in the same exact County. It was interesting. Have you ever heard of the case of Kelly Lynn Disney? Okay, so she's technically a missing person, right? Yeah, but her skull's been found. But her skull's been found, yeah. So Angela Dodds is her sister. And Angela Dodds talks about her all the time. Do I know who Angela Dodd is? uh, You may. Like, she talks a lot on the internet and true crime forums and stuff. Okay, but it's not, she's not like... No, no, it's not anybody famous. No, no, it's just somebody you may have come across. She has this whole thing with Justice for Kelly Disney. For the most part, all like that's it. That's her whole thing is, you know, what happened to Kelly Disney. It's not a super, super interesting story, but I felt like it was similar to, you know, some of these other cases we hear about. Like, you know, at this point, it's a 38-year-old murder case. Uh, it's You know, it's Newport, Oregon. Kelly Disney grew up in... Uh, silence. She was the oldest of four kids uh, born to Stan and Betty Disney. She had fallen for this boy, Robert Ellis out of Newport, like just before her senior year in high school. And she had threatened to run away if her parents didn't give her permission to move in with him. So they agreed to let her move in, but only if she promises to finish her senior year at Newport high school. And she would have been the first of the kids to graduate. So that was the goal according to Angela Dodds. And you can find this, I think, on Oregon Live and the Oregonian. They all have articles about Kelly Disney. So Disney and Ellis, who, you know, she's dating a 20-year-old. How how do you think that's going to go at 17? They have a pretty tumultuous relationship. Uh, Disney's more into studying. She's not into partying. Ellis is into partying. He doesn't care about school. So she was going to school and she was working as a waitress at a pizza parlor. He was helping to install parties. So on March 8th of 1984, there's this party at their apartment with people coming and going. And Ellis leaves, but Disney stays behind. And she soon got mad and she left as well. This is according to different statements. It's about 12.30 a.m. on March the 9th. So when Ellis gets back, uh, his friends tell him that Disney is gone. And according to everybody that knew them, this is sort of a pattern with them where like Ellis would go off looking for Disney and he would find her standing on the side of the road. In this instance, she was standing on the side of Highway 20, just east of uh, 101, which we just talked about that highway. So it's a cold night and his girlfriend is mad at him and she won't get in the car. So he leaves. Now the next or a little later, the morning, like as the sun starts to rise, two men who are on their way to uh, janitorial jobs, they see Disney and they stop to offer to give her a ride. She refuses. Um, the men stop at a convenience market in Newport and they bump into a policeman like in a convenience store and they tell the cop about the girl they just passed. So a, a Lincoln County Sheriff's deputy takes a call and he finds Kelly Disney is still along the highway and she refuses help, saying she's going to a girlfriend's house, which was later determined there was a lie. She didn't really know anybody on that side of town. Now, there's this short window. The cop, like, drives up to do something else and turns around and goes back through. And he doesn't see her anymore. Supposedly, Ellis arranged multiple searches uh, for Kelly in the next days down in this area where she was walking along the road. Well, the following morning after this, Betty Disney came to the apartment looking for Kelly. This is her mom. 
And Ellis told her that he thought that Kelly Disney had wound up at her parents' house. So Stan files a missing persons report with the Newport Police Department. And the Newport Police Department says, look, we clearly talked to her last night. The Lincoln County Sheriff talked to her last night. She's a runaway. So they ignore her case for the most part. Then 10 years later, on uh, Monday, July 25th of 1994, a man walks into the Newport Police Department with a human skull. And he had found it on July 23rd, 1994, while he was riding his ATV behind a reservoir just outside of town in Newport. He stopped at this little party spot, and there was an abandoned car there. And in the trunk of the abandoned car, there was a, a roll or a pile of carpet, depending on which version you read. Um, and he finds a skull wrapped up in it. So he takes it home and his girlfriend tells him to take it to the police, which is something you and I, we used to say this. I don't, do we say this? Any, have you said this in a while? Or is that on something else we did? Cause remember you used to say, Wait, why would you don't keep skulls? Don't keep bones. Yeah. I, I don't know when it was, but uh, there was a surprising number of people that had them. Yeah. So what this guy does is he, he goes down to the sheriff's office but only the jail is open. And the jailers told him they didn't want the skull. He should take it to the Newport police. So he goes to the Newport police station, but it was Saturday and the office was closed. So the man returns home. He cleans the skull with dish detergent and he puts it on his television. The following week, he ends up turning it over to the Newport police. Uh, and the dental records show that the skull is Kelly Disney's. And the skull has evidence of head injuries. So, they start reconstructing this case and investigators talk to the kids who had played in the car like before the skull was found. And this skull was found just as local investigators were going to the local media to drum up a little interest in, in the 10 year anniversary of the case. The skull was not there in the days immediately before it was discovered. So the, the, they know that like somebody placed this skull there. And now here we are uh, even later and nobody knows what, what happened in this case, to my knowledge. Have you, I, I have not looked at it like really recently, but this 84, uh, 84 case as of October 2020 was not solved. And then like to kind of like head down a path that I can wrap this up because I know I'm way off the fugitive thing, but I figured people wouldn't mind too much since it's like local to this area there were other disappearances so in newport technically kelly disney was the first uh, teenage girl to just vanish but she's not the last one so in may of 1992 melissa sanders who was 17 and sheila swanson who was 19 they vanished after leaving a family camp out at beverly beach state park five months later Hunters found their remains 20 miles east of Newport near a town called Eddyville, but their bodies were so badly decomposed that the state medical examiner could not determine how they died. And then on January 27th of 1995, Jennifer Essen, who was 15, and Kara Lees, who was 16, they left their friend's house in North Newport and they headed into town. More than two weeks later, their bodies were found north of the city near Mulock Beach, covered up with brush. This time, it was determined that they had been strangled. This is a really big deal for this area. Um, and they have uh, multiple missing persons here that sort of, of fit. Um, they have other couples, like twosomes, uh, specifically, as I previously mentioned, in uh, November of 2001, Cami Vollendroff and Eugene Hyatt, they go missing on the same day. Uh, and there are other uh, young women that have gone missing in that area since then, some of whom have been found. Um, it seems to have died off in late 2001 with uh, with Cami and Eugene. Uh, everything after that is either a one-off or it's, uh, quite frankly, mainly people who are on boats or cliffs. Do you know what I mean? Like, they go missing because a boat turned over. They go missing because... He was standing next to the water, and then I didn't see him again. 
Yeah, it's kind of strange, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. be careful. <laughs> so, anyways, I, I know this is not like a completely fugitive episode. Have you ever heard of Kelly Disney or any of these others? I was familiar with uh, uh, Kelly Disney's case. Yeah, I the other ones possibly, but uh, I tend to notate. Um, not really notate, but it resonates uh, when someone remains in NamUs, even though they've had um, something discovered. Like, well, like in this case, her skull was found, right? Which so right. she's not a missing person; she's dead, right? Um, they leave it in occasionally, though, because if there's a significant portion of the body that's not found, right? Right. Um, part of the body is still missing. It could possibly um, be relevant to other remains that might be found. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, so yeah, it, it, that's why I remembered her. Now, the other cases you were talking about, I don't know that they were in Namus because they were, their bodies were found. Yeah, with the 1992 case, Sanders and Swanson, that is believed to be the work of John Aykroyd. John Aykroyd, um, he was a guy that was convicted of killing a jogger in Camp Sherman in 1993, so after this. Um, he's firmly connected to uh, several other deaths, including these two Lincoln County girls. But he died in prison in, in December of 2016. And from 1994, when he, like, uh, 1993, when he went to prison, till 2016, he refused to talk to investigators. He's uh, part of the Ghost of Highway 20 series. But as far as Lincoln County goes, Disney, Essen, and Lees are considered unsolved as of this article. Uh, so that's Kelly Disney is a single, but then the others are Jennifer Essen and Kara Lees from 1995. Now, so it couldn't have been John Aykroyd because he was in prison by then. But Bobby Joe Fowler, he was one of those that they had considered for some of these. But I believe that they determined he was actually in uh, county jail during that time. So it's sort of back to the beginning. Now, all of this comes up over our holiday fugitive stuff. And these are not technically fugitives. But... The, some of the information that we could get out of these cases, if we if you looked at some of this and we're like, hey, I'm interested in that because of what we're doing with Israel Key stuff, which that uh, from the episodes that we released for his anniversary, we're talking about stuff that some of the things that we're doing are with the same investigators as these cases out in Oregon. Uh, the different cold case investigators who work part-time there. I, anyways... It's not super interesting, but like you said, I I find it fascinating when someone's essentially their head is found. Do you think it's fair to say that, or it's her skull, but it's her head? Well, right. And she's yeah. still missing. The investigators out there, the they they had a this case had like a Holly Bobo vibe. Like the rumor was, a group of men had picked her up because she went to the wrong house, and they had assaulted her and killed her. I know Holly Bobo was kidnapped from her house, but like there were rumors that like there were pictures and there were rumors that there were videos. From 1984? Yeah. Man, that would be interesting. I, I'm picturing yeah. Polaroids and beta cam. I mean, I don't know that it's real. I'm just saying it like that's well, what Well, yeah, I guess Polaroids, but um, I don't know, but it had to. So I don't think it was a serial killer. It was probably a crime of opportunity. And the reason I say that is because the her skull was found because somebody had put it there to hide it, right? Right. Um, and it was moved like almost ten years after she had gone missing. So I, you know, I serial killers don't do things like that. Well, um, I was just thinking if they put stuff out for the ten year anniversary in March of nineteen ninety four. They're really looking for whoever they mentioned in those articles. Whoever felt like a search warrant was imminent, that's the guy that moved the skull. No question. Yeah, no question. Um, so, it, but it, again, it had to have been somebody that was, you know, still there and around because, right. you know, a serial killer, it wouldn't have been them. Uh, 
but yeah, you're right. Uh, they were concerned and they dumped it, so to speak. Now they, they probably dumped the rest of her body if they still had it as well, but it just wasn't in the same place. Right. I mean, that's, that would be my, my expectation. Yes. Why would you keep, uh, why would you dispose of someone's skull and keep anything else of theirs? The skull may have been all they had left. I, I, I don't know. That's a weird thing. It's so weird. And then that guy washing it, like, it's so weird. Yeah, that's a really strange one. But then the, so the police office, the police department office being closed on Saturday, like, that's not even a thing anymore, is it? Not now, but that was a, that was a fairly long time ago. 1994 is... It just is bizarre to me that, like, even ha- now I see why people might have kept stuff like that. I mean, if you keep trying what, to get what it else to am law enforcement, yeah, what else am I going to do with take it? it? I mean, it now washing it's a bad idea. You might want to have left it, uh, but I don't know. Like, I get, I get it though. I get why you'd be like, um, yeah, let me just hold on to it. Well, that is all I have for this episode. But we, you know. Uh, we have more fugitives coming up, and uh, it's also holiday times. So, anything else you have for this one? Thank you for joining us. We are sponsored by LabratiCreations.com. You can check them out at LabratiCreations.com, and you can still use the code CRIMEXS for a fun pop pet portrait of your own pet. You can also reach us on Twitter, Instagram at True Crime Excess, or you can give us a call if you know anything about any of the cases that we're talking about at 252-365-5593. You can also reach us at Gmail at TrueCrimeXS at gmail.com, and you can check out our website at www.TrueCrimeXS.com. We'll see you next time.